Well, hi, everybody. I'm Rick Janser. Welcome to Get Real with Rick. What are you staring at? Do you guys see that behind me? That's Wally. And Wally's mother is going to be joining us today. Dr. Michael Bratlin got that bear for me. And one of his clients, um, it, it actually makes these. And so Brittany's going to be joining us tonight to tell me more about how she found this great talent and all the things she's going to do. But she makes those bears and she makes donkeys and all kinds of really cool stuff with a chainsaw. So she's going to be joining us in a little bit. We also have an interview Kim Stark did with El Rapa out of Eugene, because I understand you folks in Oregon are just smoking out. <laughs> That's nothing new for Oregon, is it? Uh, but you've got a lot of smoke and it's pretty dangerous levels. And we're going to talk to El Rapa about some stuff you can do and also how they determine what that's all about. It's a super interesting interview that Kim got. Um, our show is sponsored by Compton Family Wines and we've got the harvest season going on there. So we have a little video. We're going to show you them uh, harvesting their grapes and also in Philomath this weekend. There's open studios and Compton Family Vineyards a winery is going to be participating in that all weekend. Uh, noon to five, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and artists, their art will be there. Uh, we should get Brittany there sometime. Their art will be there on display that you can see that's going on in Philomath. We'll tell you more about that. And Brian Miskimmons is here. He's our weather guy. He's going to be telling us the weather's changing. Um, in Montana, we already have clouds and we had a teeny bit of rain. Um, and on Sunday, I think we're like a 50% chance of snow. So we've been really spoiled this year, all Oregonians and Washingtonians and Idahoans and Montanans have all been spoiled rotten this year because we've had this really nice Indian summer. So we've got all that and more coming to you. So we got to get moving. What is he looking at? Well, I mentioned on Facebook that, uh, that uh, we're going to have somebody from Arapa on tonight to talk about the smoke in your area in Oregon um, and Washington too is getting it too. I understand, but oh my gosh, and all you guys started throwing up pictures of how bad it is, and I'm hearing it just looks miserable out there. So Kim Stark did her homework as she always does. There she is. Nice <laughs> backdrop too. It's kind of has that Asian feel to it. It does. It's very nice, isn't it? This is what I found when I'm. <laughs> Not at home. <laughs> <laughs> when Kim, Kim goes out shopping and finds new screens. So let's bring Travis Knudsen on here with El Rapa. So this is pretty nasty out there. Oh, yes. Um, we are seeing some pretty uh, heavy smoke move its way throughout Lane County. Um, it's really been bad for Oak Ridge for quite some time. I don't want to underemphasize the really rough, what's now been over a month period of some pretty awful air quality that they're going through. Um, and then, of course, more into Lane County, into the Eugene Springfield area. We've seen it at times. And when it has been here, like uh, this morning, uh, it can really be pretty awful. And uh, really looking forward to some rain this weekend, which we're hopeful will minimize how much smoke we will have to deal with moving forward. Yeah, it has been. And I live out in Fall Creek, so we've had a pretty bad air quality for a while. And you come to Eugene, it sometimes is better. It drifts in and out. What do you guys mostly, with El Rapa, what do you deal with on a daily basis when the quality is like this? Do you, are you mostly trying to get those numbers accurate for people, for health information? Kind of what's the, the, what's the main purpose right now? 
Yeah, well, we have a number of different approaches to helping to improve air quality depending on what it is. Uh, like in the wintertime, for example, when we have periods of air stagnation, so like the air is not moving around very much and we basically have the same air mass with us for many days on end, um, any pollution, of course, that's added to that air mass is there to stay for us to breathe until a storm comes and clears everything out. So in those situations, we do have programs where we can help to lower how much pollution is introduced into that singular air mass, like um, homewood heating, so people using wood stoves or fireplaces. That's a common form of wintertime pollution. So we have a curtailment program where we'll say, you know, it'll be a, a yellow homewood heating day, and we'll ask people to voluntarily not use their wood stove. And if the air quality is even worse, we can call a red homewood heating day where wood stove use is prohibited. So those actions are things that we can do to help to control or, or defend the air, I guess you can say. And then there's other instances like we're dealing with now, such as the Cedar Creek wildfire, where there's a fire on the landscape, whether it's a nearby fire or it's a fire up in British Columbia and the wind's just blowing it our way. Um, when that happens, the approach goes shifts from trying to take a, an a, a active approach to protect that air to now shifting to letting people know that air quality is poor and then providing them with recommendations or things that they can do to avoid that exposure to the harmful pollution that's in wood smoke um, to protect their health later in life. Is there a big difference between the forest fire smoke and the pollutants caused by fuel, the, the, the burning, the wood fires? Is there a big difference in those type of pollutions too that affect the system differently? Um, that's a really uh, good question, and the answer to it, it can be pretty complicated. Um, so what we monitor for, or Lane County's most common form of air pollution, I guess you can say, is called particulate matter. Mm -hmm. And there's two different types of particulate matter. There's something called PM10 and PM25. And that 10 and that 25, the number on that PM is a way to reference how big or how small that part particle, that whether it's a dust, piece of dust or pollen or whatever it may be in the air. Um, if it's 2.5, that's 2.5 micrometers. So that's like this small little particle, way smaller than even the width of a human hair. Mm -hmm. And then PM10, which is 10 micrometers. So PM25 is what we monitor mostly for. And so it's any particle that is 2.5 micrometers or smaller. And that could be a number of different types of pollutants that fit into that category because it's size-based. Um, so wintertime wood stove smoke and wildfire smoke does create PM25 pollution, but so does driving your car. It's really any form of combustion. Any sort of combustion that's taking place will create PM25 um, but the most impactful thing on Lane County's air quality is, of course, wildfires during wildfire season. Our air quality is never as bad as it is, except for during wildfire season because of wildfires. And I think there's a difference, too, because when I walk out, when we're at home in Fall Creek up on the hill and it's really bad, and then I walk outside, I smell the smoke. And then people in town are saying, it doesn't smell that bad. I can't see the smoke. Why is the air quality saying what it is? Why are activities canceled? Maybe you can explain why sometimes they cancel activities and we think it's actually gotten better. But then you have to go by those numbers, you know, for that's what I hear a lot from people. Why are they canceled yeah. today? <laughs> so, so that's a, a conversation about the air quality index. And so for those who might not have heard of what the air quality index is or the AQI for short, is it's a, a scale between zero and 500. So zero is like perfect air quality. 500 is as bad as it gets air quality. And there's different categories throughout that 500. It goes from good to moderate, to unhealthy for sensitive groups, then to unhealthy and very unhealthy, and then finally hazardous is as worse as it gets. 
Um, and depending on where that air quality index is, the guidelines change for recommendations. So we can have a day where there's smoke in the air and our air quality is right around that moderate level and it's a little hazy outside, um, but it's still not bad enough to where I think a lot of people consider changing some of those um, plans, outdoor plans. Um, but then when it gets into that unhealthy for sensitive group range, that kind of orange category on the AQI, that's when the you know public health recommendations are that people start to take actions and do things differently. And so there are instances where it's kind of right on that borderline and then we're all individuals and each organization or entity makes its own decision on whether they want to move forward with their plans or if they want to cancel or reschedule those plans. Yeah, so, Kids Sports has had to do a lot of that lately. Yeah, mm -hmm. Kim's, yeah, disappointed children yes. and parents. Um, so Travis, we're all concerned about the amount of carbon that goes in the air. When you when you have a forest fire, how much do we do we know how much carbon that's just dumping into our environment? Uh, well, that would be like it's called an emissions inventory. So it's an inventory of emissions and wildfire emissions are really challenging to get a handle on. Um, you know, El Rapa, we also issue air permits to commercial or industry uh, businesses throughout Lane County who emit air pollution essentially over a certain level. We provide them with the permits to make sure they're following all the rules and laws that are applicable to that work. And we'll ask for emissions inventories from those facilities. And that's relatively, I mean, it can still be a challenging process to get that, but that snapshot of here's everything that's going into the air is much easier to understand when, you know, it's a contained operation. When it's a forest fire that can be anywhere between, you know, 10 acres to 120,000 acres, that becomes much more challenging to really get an understanding of what that emissions inventory is. Um, so to break that down, how much you know carbon has been put into the air, I don't have any numbers like that to point to, but it is uh, pretty significant. Again, the worst cause of air quality in Lane County um, is driven by wildfires, be them nearby or from far away. So is that year round? I mean, nothing, none of the industrial pollutions and car pollutions, they, if you were if you were to take the, the smoke from forest fires like this year mm -hmm. uh, and put that up with all the industries and stuff like that for the rest of the year, would, the forest fire would probably be the worst because it probably does more, because we don't see the pollutants coming out of a warehouse or Smith stack, even though warehouses not there anymore. But you know what I'm saying, but from a, a stack like that, we don't see that and with forest fires, it's, it's gotta be bigger than the rest of them. Sure, definitely. And part of it too, part of the conversation is um, different pollutant types also. There can be certain things that you'll be seeing coming out from an industry source that might not necessarily be generated through uh, a wildfire. But when it comes to sheer quantity of air pollution that's being created by a singular thing, wildfires undoubtedly is the most. And so we don't know like long-term impact yet, right? I mean, we don't really know what it does to the system, right? Or do they kind of have an idea? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about some of the health concerns related to wildfire smoke or just PM25 specifically. And this is challenging because like, for example, um, you know, the air quality is pretty bad today, but you go outside and you're like, well, it smells a bit like a campfire. It's not too bad. My, you know, your short-term impact from that poor quality isn't so intense that you're like so afraid to step outside. You're like, oh, you can still kind of exist and live about your day. But the thing that's interesting about PM particulate matter, specifically how much smaller that particulate gets, so the PM25, 
when you when you inhale it and you breathe it into your lungs and then you exhale not all of those pollutants are leaving that you breathed in a lot of it can get just entrapped so deep into your lungs because it's so small that it doesn't leave and you know one or two days of exposure of poor air quality a year but over a lifetime is a pretty significant amount of exposure and this pm25 is small enough that health studies have shown that it can penetrate from the lungs into the bloodstream and then accumulate elsewhere um, that can create some undesirable health outcomes later in life and that's what's really tricky about the poor air quality we're seeing today is there's no real short-term health consequence that's so inconvenient that you want to just naturally take actions to avoid it you kind of think oh well it's fine but if you kind of have that attitude of oh well it's fine every year for a lifetime that's a pretty significant exposure that later in life can have some chronic health consequences that's hard to really think about or envision right. today in the present but something that we all should be considering when we're talking about air quality so it seems like if we're if you know like if if a if a manufacturing plant were dumping that much smoke into the air, we would be putting restrictions on that. So it seems to me with forest fires, the way they're increasing over the last 10, 15 years, this needs to be a major focus of folks in areas like Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho, to figure out how do we better manage these forests to stop this from happening? Because we, we don't know the long-term effects, the health effects, and we don't know what this is doing to climate change. And so it right. seems like a pretty major thing we need to figure out what the hell's going on here. You know what I mean? Yeah, the uh, changing climate in the Pacific Northwest, so just generally saying with us having drier and warmer climate means that wildfire season is longer. I wouldn't say necessarily that climate change is creating more wildfires or that it's making them worse it's just making that window of opportunity for wildfires to take place it's a much bigger window throughout the year and because of that additional window there's going to be more wildfires and there's more smoke in the area um, i do think that if if you were to talk to anybody who kind of grew up in oregon their whole life they would say that the wildfire smoke conversation is a relatively new conversation just in the last few years yeah yeah, very new. I mean, I remember even being in Lane County for 30 years and it's like it was it's never like it is now. You know, I mean, it's pretty bad. So, wow, yeah. Travis, that was awesome. I, well, <laughs> I learned a ton. Sure. And he's a hard guy to track down. So I'm glad we got him. <laughs> you know, I, I do. If it's possible, um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of air quality resources of where people oh, can yes. go and um, okay. get on to that. If that's something that you guys are interested in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, of course, you know, we talk about, you know, avoiding exposure if the air quality is bad outside, doing things like instead of going on that walk or that bike ride, you know, the, the better decision for your health might just be to skip. But how do you know what the air quality is? Um, so there's a couple of resources out there that exist. El Rapa's website, just elrapa.org is one. Um, airnow.gov, that's an EPA website. That's very helpful and useful. And then there's another website that's not necessarily a government source of information. It's more commercial source. And there's some special talking points that go along with it, but it's called Purple Air Sensors. I'm not sure if hmm. either of you have heard of those before. I haven't heard of that one. Mm -mm. So a Purple Air Sensor, it actually I have one right here. I've been using air.gov. So, so yeah, uh, this was very much uh, just a coincidence, but this is a Purple Air Sensor. Um, it's a small little device. And on the bottom here, are these two little boxes. And what it does is it kind of, 
is there's a small little fan that brings in some air and there's a laser light on the inside of these boxes that essentially counts how many times something crosses that laser light. Um, and that's how it's able to count how many particles are in the air to give you a PM25 reading. Uh, these sensors cost about $260 a pop and they're commercial grade. So they're not quite as accurate as the government grade monitors. Like Arapa has multiple government grade monitors that are like $20,000 plus to buy and then they cause have maintenance costs and you know operational costs these are quite a bit more affordable in comparison and these are information from these sensors is accessible online um, on a, a map called purpleair.com or if you just google purple air map um, and one thing too that's important to note with the purple air sensors or some of those commercial sources of information is the readings you'll get from this is an average of the last 10 minutes as where if you go to Elrapa's website, elrapa.org, you're seeing an average of the last anywhere between 12 to three hours, depending wow. on how quickly the air quality is changing. So a common question I'll get, or people will call the office and they'll say, I'm looking on the purple air map and they're saying air quality is this, but when I look on your website, it says air quality is something different. And most mm -hmm. of the time that's because this is showing you a 10 minute average as where the government websites are showing you at the shortest, a three hour average. Well, that'd be um, a real nice security for somebody who, like asthmatic, somebody yeah. who's got bad allergies, someone who's really sensitive to the smoke. Right. Um, you could, mon you, you don't have to be looking up at, you know, nothing about wrong with El Rapid site, but it was like you would know in your in your neighborhood or where you are what that's yeah. going to be. I, I, yeah, that's, cool. be that's a cool. I don't want to call it a toy, but I love stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Nice little devices too, because we only have eight government grade monitors and Lane County is pretty big. So eight's not a whole lot. The We've installed, LRAP has installed about a hundred of those purple air sensors throughout the county to increase that resolution and provide more public information. So hmm. with this new weather system coming in, should we this should dissipate with, within a couple of days, do you think? That, that is the question of the day. Um, the expectation is that there will be a between about a quarter to a half inch of rain that'll fall on the Cedar Creek fire itself. Um, the wildland firefighters tell us that that's not enough rain to put the thing out. So it will still continue to make smoke. It won't make as much smoke. Um, so I think that in the Eugene Springfield area, the Southern Willamette Valley, the kind of frequent smoke that we have been seeing, that will probably back off quite a bit. And I think that we may see some relief from that. Uh, the question that still remains is how will the Oak Ridge West fir area be impacted mm. by that continuing smoke? And that's still to be seen. So I think Eugene Springfield, things should get better with the rains arriving. Will things get better in Oak Ridge and West for a little bit, but how much that's still unknown. The first time I've ever prayed for rain was like the last couple of years here, right? I used to complain about it. Now I'm like, bring it. Oh, it's so bad. Travis, thank you so much for joining us and doing that. That that was super informative. Yes, yes. of course. Anytime. As again, I appreciate the opportunity to come here and talk about these things. All right. Travis Knudsen with thank Ellen you. out of Lake <laughs> County. Awesome. Thank you, man. We finally grabbed them and we'll put those up there too. So people could go to those resources. Those are, those are great and handy to have. I always do the air.gov, but those little numbers, wow. Wouldn't those come in handy for certain groups? That's great. So, um, so this weekend, what you doing swimming outside? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I may, I may just play in the mud puddles with the kids if we get enough rain, because I will be so excited to have it. You know, you should tell the kids to go out and you guys go do rain dance. I know. You know, rains. you know, I mean, they're that. still young enough. You could, fib oh they would do it they do snow dances this time it's rain yeah 
Jim Stark, thanks for being here. Have a good weekend. I'll see you next week. Okay, sounds good. Bye. All right, see you later. All right, so there you go. Everybody's been talking about air quality, and um, your season of fog is about to arrive too. So there you are in the Willamette Valley. I'm, I don't mean to say this too much, but here in Montana, it's like really clear. <laughs> but we get snow on Sunday, so there you go. Oh, shut up, Rick. Just what we don't want to hear, you know. <clears throat> He's still here. <laughs> so here's joining us now, Brian Miskimmons. So Brian, you heard that uh, little report there on what's going on. I just got a beep on my phone that a winter storm warning is in effect for Butte, Montana. Yep. Uh, they could get five to 12 inches of snow. Now you guys, Butte is like 5,500 feet. I'm like 3,800 feet. I don't know what Polson is, but we're supposed to get some on Sunday, I think here, aren't we? Yeah, you guys actually stand a better chance, Rick, than we do here in Polson. I think I explained during our video last week that Polson's kind of in a bowl if you look at it topography-wise. It's very just, it's got mountains all around it. The snow level drops to about 3,000 to 3,500 feet over the weekend. So uh, Townsend, where you're at, and other areas, definitely a good chance of snow. Now, the interesting thing is, I, I want to back up a step here, Rick, and talk about what they were talking about with the air quality in Oregon. So while the, he was talking, I was running our, I run a lot of simulations on our forecast maps and I was running a wind and rain simulation forecast just to see exactly what our wind flow is looking like. And for that particular Cedar Creek fire, it looks like the wind shift will come sometime late Friday into Saturday. And by two o'clock Saturday, our forecast maps and our models are showing enough of a punch. We used to call this, and when I was forecasting when Portland would get out of a freezing rain event, we call it the punch through of the south wind. And it looks like that comes sometime late Friday into early Saturday. And by Saturday afternoon, we should see enough of a southwesterly push to drastically improve that air near the Oak Ridge Cedar Creek fire. So that's good news. That's some great news for them because I was actually talking to a buddy of mine that's up lives up in Longview today, and he said they were having to consider possibly postponing some games because the air quality even in southwest Washington was bad. Like you said, we have nothing to complain about here. It's definitely been a little smoky and a little hazy. But the big story, of course, just finally change. I mean, it's taken yeah. – I mean, everything's behind this year, and October has been so calm and so quiet, and we're finally seeing that change. Now, the big thing here in the valleys, Rick, is there's going to be a lot of what we call downsloping or shadowing effect, so to speak. So there will be quite a bit of moisture coming to the mountains, especially above 5,000 feet. Meanwhile, for those below that level, it doesn't mean you won't see snowflakes mix in with the rain, especially by the time we get to later Saturday and Sunday, but... Uh, not as much moisture, maybe quarter inch or so of rain, at least here in the western part of the state. Now, where you're at, you could pick up definitely a little bit more there in Townsend, Rick. But it, overall, finally seeing that change. And I did run some simulation forecasts all the way through next, next week, and we continue to see cold trough after cold trough drop through. That's great for the snowfall building up in the mountains. And also just good news for the overall, th all throughout the West, where we've just been experiencing these drought conditions for uh, seemingly a long time. Yeah, you hate to wish it away because it's been beautiful. People here were saying, we went to a mayor's prayer breakfast this morning. They said, um, we haven't seen this in 15 years, a, a fall. This he's usually like last year, they got snow by October 7th or something like that. And so everybody's like really enjoying it. But yeah, it's kind of time to get back to the real world, huh? 
It is. Well, actually, I unexpectedly found myself at one of our local tire shops today when uh, my caliper on my car literally just started gushing brake fluid and my service brake come, light came on and I walked into that tire shop and they were sending people out the door already with studs on and I and the guy behind the counter is just working so hard and I went, oh boy, this almost feels like a pre <laughs> a pre-winter storm tire day at the tire shop. But that there's nothing. I'm not expecting anything like that in the valleys. Now, could you wake up to a dusting Sunday morning? Absolutely. And especially where you're at, you're a little bit higher in elevation than we are here in Polson. We're about 3,000 feet. But it, it's it's not it's what I call the wet snow variety, right. where maybe a, a dusting or an inch or two in the morning and then it's done. But that's about it. All right, Brian. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good weekend. Okay. Yeah, you too. Talk to you next week. All right, there you go. So one group of people, a lot of farmers here where I am are um, out with their machinery, trying to get the last of the alfalfa up, getting everything harvested. It's kind of exciting to watch. Um, Compton's at Compton Family Winery in Philomath, Oregon, they've been working their butts off because it's harvest time and you want to get those grapes out of there before the rain starts. And uh, they sent out, uh, my friend Tim Schley went over and shot some video and here's kind of what that looks like. And, but right before you pick them, they should start to loosen a little bit so you can turn them and they'll shrink. But we had a crew picking Pinot Gris. Ah. Crew that was picking this morning, they said the fruit looked great, but also they had enjoyed picking the vines because our lambs come through and cleaned off the lower portion. So it was really easy for them to pick. So they're enjoying the fact that it's a clean, easy, fast pick for them because they get paid per bucket. Pinot clones, Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris mutate on the vines and that's why we have Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Noir. You push the berries down. That's called a cap. So once you're breaking through, it's kind of hard to get through. There I am. Um, they are open. Compton Family Winery in Philomath, Oregon is open. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, noon to five. And this weekend, um, Philomath has the open studio, which is artists' uh, works are gonna be throughout the, the community and Compton's will have some of the artwork there. So you can go in and see local art, taste your wine. If you mention my name, I think you get a free flight or you get $15 off some of your wine. You have to ask, but mention when you go in there, Rick Dancer, and uh, you do get free stuff. <laughs> okay, so now, you know, it's Halloween. And very weird things happen in Halloween time. And um, we found a woman. You're going to love her story. This is a great story, but she's a little scary. I mean, watch this. I mean, 
I know Jason's out there and everything, but you know, that's just a little bit scary. Um, Tabitha did come on here and remind me that actually you get both free tasting and $15 off two or more bottles if you mention my name. See, my name has value. <laughs> so back to our story of the moment. Um, Brittany, this is Brittany the Chainsaw Artist. Oh my gosh, so how are you? Good, Rick, how are you? So good. So so here's how the story works, you guys. Well, well, you tell them how Dr. Bratlin found this, this for me. Oh, well, um, I went to Dr. Bratlin to go get a regular cleaning for my teeth because, you know, he's the best. And um, he asked me what I did for a living. And I, I do forestry as well as my favorite hobby is my chainsaw art. Um, and he's like, oh, Brittany, please show me a picture. So I'm like, okay, Bratlin, um, this is this is one of my only bears I have right now. And I showed it to him and he's like, oh, I need that for Rick. And I'm like, what? And so he got it for you, and I here we are. <laughs> so this is Wally, and Wally is named after Dr. Bratlin's dog that they had to have put down. And I didn't even know that. I just said, I'm going to name him Wally. He goes, that's the dog we just had put down. Everything works kind of weird. So Wally sits normally by our fireplace. and But I, I saw this, and I'm going, my wife and I, we just love his face. And he's so cute. So let me hold on. Hold on. I've got this. I can show you some stuff, guys. Look at. So here's some of our other stuff. Here's Wally at Compton Family Wines. That's where he went and visited. This is another big bear that she does. He's got a really cute face. It's kind of sad. And then this. Look at this. She sold this. This was to who? This was Reedsport. Yeah, Reedsport Chainsaw Carving Competition. It's every Father's Day weekend. If you're in Oregon and you're around for Father's Day weekend, you have to see it. There is over 30 professional carvers. Um, I'm not a professional yet. I want to be soon, but that was my piece. And we have massive logs that we all get our pick at. And, and then look at this. This is what she sells the most of. These cute little donkeys. You guys, are those the coolest things ever? So you have to tell me, because you and I already kind of talked, but so COVID comes and you do, what is the business that you do? You own, you own a, a environmental company yeah um so i own uh, i'm partial owner of willamette valley forestry and what we do is everything after the logging like habitat restoration and vegetation management so like we'll plant trees by the creeks um you know for fish habitat and bird habitat and just restore um, natural areas um you know we kill a lot of invasive species so um for that job i'm used to running my big saw that i have like all day long and when the corona happened and uh, all of my work orders got pulled. Uh, I had just gotten a little tiny bitty saw for Christmas. And so that's where my chainsaw um, art started. I just went out in my garage and I fired that thing up and just started making stuff. And um, within like two weeks, one of my uh, employees was like, oh wow, I really like your work. Can I buy your fish? And I was like, of course. And that was my first sale. And uh, I just couldn't stop because I get like in the, the groove and in the moment and it's just so much fun. Like it's well, and you're, making a good, you're making a fairly good, I mean, it's, you make some good money off of them. The donkeys are like 350 and then show them the little bear. That's so popular bear and a stump. This so, is stump bear. These little stump bears are about this, the size of a firewood, uh -huh. a piece of firewood. And I make most of them out of cedar um, so that they have, uh, they last a long time. And um, 
I like to do all chainsaw art. The only thing on him that's not chainsaw art is his eyes. That's not a chainsaw and his nose, barely. But like the whole fur texture, that's all a chainsaw. And they, these are my top sellers um, too. They are $75 a piece starting out. Um, I make them bigger too. And so, you know, they get bigger and they're more heavier, so a little bit more money. So you, so you, you told me that you can't even draw. I can't. <laughs> then how the hell do you do, how the hell do you pull an, a donkey and a bear out of a piece of wood? I don't know. I don't know, right? I wish I could tell you, but like, I have tried to honestly get better at my drawing and I can't. Like, I, I, I've been trying. But, do, you I mean, think it's, do you think it's like because you're into, I mean, you're really into the forest. That's your business. So do you think it's just kind of in, innate and inside in you or something? Well, I've got a lot of uh, people in my family that are really creative and artistic. Like I've got painters in my family and people, um, you know, that do crochet and all different kinds of things. Uh, and I like doing that stuff too, but um, I've always loved running a chainsaw so much and I've, always been drawn to like people that do chainsaw art and so when the corona happened and it just gave me that opportunity to try my hobby and you know see if I could do it and you know every day that I tried I just got better and it was just really inspiring to myself because I can't draw and I know that you know <laughs> so well and so so tell me um do you, when you look at that log, do you see like Wally? Do you see something in there? And do you just know, or is it a matter of because you're you're really just taking stuff away? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Like when I did Wally, I remember how like I worked on him, and I couldn't I couldn't figure out what he was really gonna look like, but I just wanted him to be cute so bad. And I remember thinking that maybe his head was a little too big, and then I was like, no, precious moments have big heads, and they're wonderful. And, and then I, I got the grinder out and I finished his nose and got that nice finish on his nose. Yeah. And, and then the, I put that color on him. That's when I started really loving him. And after I, I burned him and I put that glaze on him. Cause I don't do that with very many of my carvings, but he just, he just popped after that. And yeah, he sits on my mantle next to the fireplace and when Kathy and I sit and watch TV or something like that, he's staring back at us. So he's kind of like our little guard, but I, we love him. I mean, we think he's like, I mean, then he kind of look like his dad. Mm -hmm, he does. <laughs> he's, like, he's very handsome, Rick, just like you. Well, well, you're, you're like, you stand up there. You gotta go. You gotta go. <laughs> so, um, so how do people get a hold of you? Um, um, so somebody, Connie Leach goes, I love him. She says, I live him, but she meant I love him. So um, oh, I can put your phone number up here. So I'm going to go Brittany's, and you don't have an E in your Brittany. Nope. It's my name spelled funky. It's B-R-I-T-T-N-Y. Oh, it's T-T-N-Y, Brittany's Chainsaw Art. And you guys, you can text her if you want one, because she can make these for you for Christmas. And she is paying me nothing for this. I just did it because I think you are awesome. And I think more people should see that. And I love your story. So, you know, out of, out of COVID, so much bad happened. But it's really cool that it kind of forced some of us to go in and, and reinvent ourselves. And you really did reinvent yourself. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 
So um, what's next? You've got donkeys, you've got sea otters, you've got bears. What's going to be the newest thing? Um, my favorite piece I have right now is my trees because I love trees. Um, you know, uh, habitat oh, restoration. Oh my god! On a fireplace mantle, that would be so beautiful. It is one piece of wood. You can kind of let me see if I can kind of make it to where you can see, but like you can see me through it. Um, it was all chainsaw too. I used no other tools on this piece. Um, and you know, just one chunk of log, nothing is glued together. And you know, there's phenomenal. That would be so <laughs> in a house. Oh my gosh. I may have to order one of those for Christmas. I, really, I mean, I love my bear, but I think that's really, that's, that's just beautiful for somebody's living room. You know what I mean? I think it would make a great centerpiece for a table, honestly. And I'm super surprised I still have this. I probably had this one for over a year. I've drug it around everywhere with me, different events. Um, and I don't know why I still have it. I mean, I've had so many compliments on it. How much, um, are, you, but, how much are you selling that for? Um, this one right here is 150 150 bucks. May, you better buy it. I've got one of my BS Free MD doctors. May is on here and she's going, I love those trees. Mm -hmm. uh, and are you, no, you're not in Philomath. Where are you? Are you in Eugene or Springfield? I am in Lorraine, Oregon. It's only like a half hour from Eugene. Yeah. Um, but I go to Eugene all the time. So if somebody uh, wanted something that was in Eugene or surrounding areas, um, I can meet you halfway or. Um, anybody is more than welcome to get a hold of me and schedule an appointment to come out and check out my collection that I have. Um, I also do on-site uh, custom orders too. If you've got a big stump in your yard that you want turned into something magical, I can make it happen. Um, um, they want a huge tree too. They're gonna count. They'll get. They'll get a hold of you. Um, you're such a nice person. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what What makes you happiest in your life? Um, well, I have a nine-year-old son named Brian, and he is my world, and he's uh, my biggest supporter. We hang out every day, um, you know, and he wants me to be happy, and he knows that my chainsaw art really brings me a lot of joy, and, um, you know, he's a he's just, he's the best. So he was really excited to hear that I got this um, interview with you, Rick, and, you know, he's my number one fan. He's being super quiet and good right now <laughs> for bring me. In, bring him in. Can he come in? Will they come in? No, let me go see if I can grab them real quick. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. So you guys, I'm sure she does dogs. If you gave her an idea of what you wanted, I'm sure Brittany can make it happen. Because um, those are so beautiful and cool. Okay, we're going to meet her son too. Don't you love life? I love yeah. life TV. This is Brandon. Okay. Oh my, you do look like your mom. <laughs> well, she's prettier than you are, but you do look like her. <laughs> do you like which one do you like that your mom does? What do you like the best? I like uh, the fishes that she used to do. She used to do fishes, and I thought they were pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you, well, Brandon. It was really super nice meeting you, and Brittany, it was great meeting you. Look on the comments; people are going, "What about Scottish this? Or what about that? What about dogs?" Ooh, so, I did a really, really cute cow for one of my friends. If you guys uh, check out my Facebook, uh, Brittany's Chainsaw Art, there's pictures on there. If you scroll down, I've only done one cow. But I really want to do another one, and I have a massive log right now to do another one. But it was one of the funnest carvings I've ever did, and he's so cute. So cute. Wow. Um, I've done a lot of dogs. Um, Angela wants an English Mastiff. We can do that. 
That's one big tree. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, I like to do first come first serve and I do have some giant logs, which are really hard to get, but I got some and it's a uh, really good cedar. It's actually Port Orford cedar all the way from Bandon. That's a good um, smell. That's the stuff you put in your closet that makes it smell really good. It gets rid of the moths. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that, that Port Orford is going to last a really long time, you know? So I'm excited to uh, get some custom orders for these big logs that I have uh, and just make somebody's, you know, dream of whatever big sculpture they want come true because that's like my favorite thing to do big is is really fun to work on well Brittany, thank you for being on here and let me know what you get like how many you get orders you get and all that kind of stuff and then maybe i can throw something on we'll get you on here another time when you do something new oh and somebody wrote in here brian who's from montana he said in ronan montana there's a carving contest in june that you should go to Ooh. on the comment section. So you should look at it and come to Montana because we'd love to see you. I would love that. That would be so much fun. I'm hoping this next year um, I will be able to actually do a tour and do more than just the one chainsaw carving competition in Reedsport. Um, so I, I want to travel this, this next year. And May says she wants a Rick dancer for t- her husband's office to look like a gnome. Oh, that would be awesome. God, I can't think of anything worse to have in my house as a Rick Dancer. Some lady from, like, she wouldn't be on here because she was from England. She made, like, this pottery thing that was my face. She sent it to me, and it was like, I opened the the package, and here it is. And my wife looks at it. She goes, oh, I never want to see that. It was, like, it was kind of scary. It was, like, nobody needs that much of themselves around the house, you know? Hey, Brittany, it was great seeing you and meeting you. And thank you for that. People really like your stuff and they really love your story. Thank you so much, Rick, for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, hon. We'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. See you, bye-bye. Isn't she awesome? Nice people. I just love when nice people are there. Um, so again, we met her through Dr. Bratlin, Chris, Chris Dental Family Dentistry. And um, I air a commercial and then Bill London is up with your news. This is a big show tonight. This is Dr. Michael Bradley from Chris Dental. Just because we live in Oregon doesn't mean we have to accept this crazy left-wing ideology the rest of our lives. We don't have to succumb to CRT, gender identity indoctrination, and out-of-control homelessness, crime, and so on. We can actually make a change and it starts with the next election. Right now, it is our responsibility to make sure that those who share our same values are elected in November. Make sure you and everyone that you know actually votes. We can and will take back Oregon. A little late getting this to you today, Rick. We had that huge accident on I-5. Kind of keeping things busy. Okay. So. From the KPNW News Center. Hi, I'm Bill London. Welcome to Get Real with Rick, brought to you, of course, this is by Chris Dental and Dr. Michael Bratland, who's not afraid to stick his hand into your mouth. And by the way, I do the wake-up call on KPNW uh, Monday through Friday morning, 6 a.m. to 9, but I'm here before that, truly. I do have to mention this, and I realize this is probably going to be, you know, because uh, this is a little bit dated, I'm going to tell you that Wednesday there was a absolutely enormous accident on I-5. And while that may be old news to people with 
somewhere around, at least at this count, 55 commuter vehicles and around 20 commercial vehicles with hazmat. We had a fatality, uh, at least a fatality as of right now, and multiple injuries. Um, I guess what I would want to say here is the weather is changing, and this was all because of patchy fog this morning. In some areas, it was very bad. That's what caused it. It became a domino accident. Just note that it's that time of year, and when we have that kind of fog, take it easy out there. Plus, we're going to have some rain that's expected this weekend. So, you know, I mean, it's weird that you have to remind people that, remember, you're driving in weather, but as today is a graphic example, People obviously need to be reminded to slow down. Um, it was absolutely a horrific accident. All right, so looking at other things. So Oregon's three gubernatorial candidates agree on the state agency that is in the most need of oversight. And if you've got a job with the Oregon Health Authority, update your resume. Betsy Johnson has said that that agency is ungovernable and unmanageable. Democrat Tina Kotek has said that she will fire the agency head, Patrick Allen, and its director of behavioral health, Steve Allen. Republican Christine Drazen has said basically the same thing. There will be a shakeup after the election at the Oregon Health Authority. Now, that agency, of course, controls the state's public and behavioral health programs, as well as the Oregon State Hospital. Obviously, a lot of problems during COVID-19. And when it comes to behavioral health in Oregon, well, the next story tells the tale. In a new report, Mental Health America ranked Oregon nearly dead last for mental health ahead of only Kansas. And that was because Oregon actually is ranked as middling for access to mental health care, but ranks the worst for the prevalence of mental illness of any state in the nation. Yeah, we're number last. And Oregon is ranked in the bottom three in this particular report for the last nine years since the report was started. Now you know why the behavioral health side of OHA is going to see a shakeup. The ranking is based on rates of mental illness, substance abuse, and suicidal thoughts. 27% of Oregon adults report suffering from mental illness. That's six percentage points higher than the national average. And even worse, one out of every five Oregon youth have experienced a major depressive episode in the past year, which may also include suicidal ideation. That's also the highest rate in the nation. Well, Oregon's Supreme Court Chief Justice Martha Walters has said she's retiring at the end of this year. And what that means is outgoing Governor Kate Brown will seat yet another Supreme Court Justice. Now, Walther's plan to retire comes amid an uncertain political future for the state because of the, new to uh, the November gubernatorial election with unaffiliated candidate Betsy Johnson in the fight and causing topsy-turvy in the pollings. And because of that, it's thought Republican candidate Christine Drazen, depending on the poll, is leading Democrat Tina Kotek in a tight race. By retiring, Walters is ensuring that Brown will name a replacement who's likely aligned with Walters, well, political judgments. 
judges in Oregon have to retire by the end of the year that they turn 75. She would turn 72 next week. So if she stayed, that would give Oregon's next governor the ability to appoint Walter's replacement. So Nike co-founder Phil Knight has now said publicly, and when I say publicly, I mean on a huge platform and megaphone, he has announced that he will do anything to block Democrats from keeping their hold on Oregon's gubernatorial seat. Now, if you recall, Knight dumped a ton of cash into Betsy Johnson's campaign, over $3 million. Just recently, he gave over a million dollars to Christine Drazen. And he said over the weekend in the New York Times, he said, one of the political cartoons after our last legislative session had a person snorting cocaine out of a mountain of white. And it said, which of these is illegal in Oregon? And the answer was the plastic straw. He said that was pretty much his tipping point. He went on further to tell the New York Times that he is an anti-Tina person. Oregon hasn't had a Republican governor since 1982, but the polls show that Drazen actually has a solid chance of eking out a win in the upcoming election. Well, I always like to bring this up. You know, legalizing pot, we were told, was going to cut the black market out of marijuana grows and stymie those darn cartels into non-existence in Oregon. So in what's becoming an almost every other day occurrence, another massive illegal marijuana operation has been busted in Yamhill County. Wednesday, Yamhill County seized 76,930 pounds of processed pot. That's 38 and a half tons. That is a little under two full semi-trailer loads of processed pot. And in case you're wondering, yeah, I looked up the hauling capacity of semis. I was curious. It's the largest marijuana seizure in the history of the Yamhill County Sheriff's Office. Investigators say that they raided a rural property uh, in Yamhill County. They say the entire property was converted to growing, storing, processing, and packaging pot for shipping. They found multiple guns, 80 grand in cash, and receipts showing multiple large dollar wire transfers going to the state of Michoacan, Mexico. What? That sounds cartel-like. That's not supposed to be happening in Oregon. According to officials, the street value of the marijuana in Oregon would be about $76,500,000. In New York, on the East Coast, a street value of $269 million. Five males arrested on the property. They're all in the Yamhill County Jail. And the DA there is trying to get a judge to actually overrule Measure 48 that would allow these five guys to get out of jail with no bail and potentially walk. They are Ulysses Valdivinas Chavez, Luis Guerrero Rubio, Jose Alfredo Esquivel, Miguel Angel Valdivinas Chavez, and Francisco Franco Rodriguez. All of them are within the age of 23 to 32 years of age, and they all supposedly reside in Newburgh. And if you're thinking, wow, 
76,000 pounds of marijuana. That's a lot of harsh mellow going on there. Well, that is a lot of pot. But consider not quite a year ago, in 2021, in a bust in White City, law enforcement found a little over 500,000 pounds of processed marijuana. Now, you can break that down to your favorite pot measurement, and we'll consider it like a puzzle of some sort, sort of like Rick Dancer's Sudoku or Sudoku. Let's, yeah, there you go. Rick Sudoku. I like it. We need to do that. Somebody break it down for us. Post it in the comments below. Uh, other things that are going on, there, there is one thing that I did find somewhat amazing, and this is research coming out of Oregon State University, and I love some of the research that they do over there. So they're saying now that strategic cattle grazing could be the latest tool to help fight fires by building fuel breaks. So an Oregon University, uh, Oregon State University study testing the efficacy of using virtual fence technology to confine cattle to a specific area. What that is, is like, these are cows that are wearing electric dog collars. And you know how you can put the little wire that goes around your property, and if the dog steps over it, it makes their collar shock them? Well, it's the same thing that it does with cows. Now, David Boner, the director of the Eastern Oregon Agricultural Resource Center with Oregon State University, says that the premise of the study is using this virtual fence technology to develop a fuel break to reduce fine fuels that are present in a lot of areas on the landscape that can help propagate wildfire and use cattle to graze it. They say they've been using it uh, in the past, but it was really expensive because the kind of fences they were using in the past were physical fences, and that gets expensive. This is actually pretty cheap, done with a couple of little transmitter devices that are set out in the middle of major fields, and all the cows are wearing a shock collar. They say their target was to reduce the amount of forage in areas by 50 cents per cent, and they went well above in doing that. And now they're saying, well, if it works for this, maybe we can use it as a way to keep cows out of riparian zones. Like I said, I love some of the stuff that comes out of Oregon State University. OSU has some good, or U of O has some good stuff too. They have a great physics department. All right. That is it for me. Uh, Rick, I'm going to let you take it away and roll out a big old industrial can size of reel. So big, you need a hazmat suit. <laughs> I was waiting for him to say one more thing. Do you love that story about Phil Knight? I love that. So he is so, and he's donated mostly to Democrat candidates in the past. Um, so here he is, he gave $2 million to Betsy, and I think it was maybe a little more than that, a million to uh, Drazen. And he just wants Kotech and the Democrats out of there. And I think there's a lot of us like that. Um, you've destroyed the state of Oregon, and now it's time to get the hell out and we're going to come in and clean up your mess. I mean, I think that's a hilarious comment that in Oregon, because the last time I was in Oregon, I went to a restaurant and he had straws sitting on the, on the tray and um, he starts to walk away. I said, can we get those straws? He goes, yeah, but you have to ask for them. And I said, why? And this girl sitting, you know, obviously really, you know, progressive, sitting next to us. She looks over and she goes, because they hurt turtles. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm back in Oregon. <laughs>
<laughs> so it's more, it's more important in Oregon for the far left to not injure a turtle than it is to legalize heroin and cocaine and methamphetamine in small amounts on the streets of Oregon. What the fuck is that all about? <laughs> I mean, that says everything right there, right there. Turtles are more important than people to some people in this state. That is sick. Thanks for joining us. Have a great time. Share this with your friends. Um, have a nice weekend. Um, hopefully the weather is going to change a little bit like that. We'll be back next week um, and uh, with a whole bunch of more stuff. A lot of timber industry stories next week coming on as well. All right, we'll talk to you later. You don't hear any of this stuff anywhere else, do you? <laughs> of course not. Oh, we get in so much.